Welcome to another episode of Keep the Dream Flowing, a podcast about the 1969 Woodstock Festival. I'm Jack Lokensky. I'm here with Johnny Hudson. And today we're going, we're going to continue our dive into the unheralded band, The Quarry. And we talked, we had a couple of episodes ago, we talked to Mick Valenti, and now we're going to talk to Wendy Darling, who is... I don't know the proper term for it, so I'll leave that blank, but was affiliated with um, Dave Karen, who is the rhythm guitarist and lead singer for The Quarry. And he did many other things, and we'll get into that during the episode. So welcome, Wendy. Thank you so much. Hello, Wendy. Hi. I appreciate being here. It's really fun to be with you guys and uh, look forward to telling some of the fun stories and uh, interesting things that happened at Woodstock and beyond. And beyond. Yeah, no, it, it was quite a story. You wrote a you wrote uh, a piece on the internet that I read through this this afternoon. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so for me, uh, you know, I'm uh, I was I had just graduated high school, 1962, right. and my boyfriend at the time, David Karen, my first love. We met. I was 14. He was 16, and we met on Punchusick Lake. They were playing the Marksman band, right? Um, at the uh, pavilion there, I was in my boat. So that that's in uh, Pittsfield, Mass, right? It's in yeah. Lake, well, the lake is half Pittsfield, half Lanesboro. So yeah, Pittsfield, close enough. Pit, Pittsfield area. Yeah, Pittsfield area, the Berkshires, and um, and so I, I left in my boat after the band, and half hour later they showed up at my lake house. So uh, we all got to know each other and became friends forever. And David and I were first loves and soulmates until he passed uh, in 1985 from a brain aneurysm. Which is why he can't be here today. Why he's not with us now. But, um, but uh, so, you know, so the, the many bands that he was in, I was with him through all of those bands. And, and even the Marksmen, they were only 14 and 15 years old. They made a metal record. It was so heavy. It was metal. And it, there right. were two songs, one on each side. And um, it was as big as a 75. And I think it probably played as a 75. Just trying to remember. But, 78. Um, I mean, a 78. Uh, yeah. yeah. 78. I was like, 75? Wait a minute. <laughs> okay. 78. Okay, good. Right. But uh, those two songs were written by a guy named Joe Tora. Right. It was amazing. And, and they're still great songs. Um, okay. Are they on your SoundCloud page? No, they're not, but they will be. Okay. <laughs> they're not. There's a lot of things. Um, a lot of stuff is uh, cassette. So I have to digitize okay. a lot of the music. And, and I want to do it one time because I don't know if I'll even get to one time with a cassette. So I want to make sure I, that I might do it. There's someone who knows what they're doing that might not be me. So I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, I want to make sure it's done right, you know, so that we get it. Absolutely. I would say that our general host, Scott Parker, could assist you. But given he's so that, he's spread, but he's spread very thin these <laughs> yeah. days. So I don't want to volunteer his time no, no. any just, further because I kind of <laughs> want him to post the episodes that we've recorded. Yeah. I just spoke to an engineer who's going to help me out, a friend of mine, Frank Kennedy. So, I'm, yeah, it's going to be fine. 
we're going to make it happen. So you will Good. be able to see it on, hear it on SoundCloud at some point. Um, okay. And they're great. They're great recordings. I mean, the, the songs are great. Joe plays with a, uh, Ed Moran sometimes who does um, Van Morrison tributes and um Roy Orbison stuff, and he's really good. So, and they Fabulous. play and the little venues. I think he's played the Palace, and so. But but Joe is a great guy, and um, yeah. So that was David's early stuff. So then uh, David went on from the Marksman to the Quarry, and right. Well, but, but I think the Marksman became the Quarry at some point in time. No, no, um, no. Okay. No, David went uh, on to the Quarry. The Marksman was David Grover. Mark Knight, right. David Karen, and Rick Fetridge. And so okay. left the Marksman, joined the Quarry. And um, that, at that time, it was Mike Fury playing lead guitar, Mick right. on drums, Danny Velika on bass, and David rhythm guitar and singer. Um, so, um, and then when, they, when the Quarry happened, Barry Hollister, who yeah. um, later owned Ski America, he was managing the Quarry. And, and he, that's it. And that's in Great Gorge. Yeah, they lived in. Okay. Um, yep, they lived in down in uh, New Jersey. McAfee, New Jersey. McAfee, yeah. Yep. And and Barry was booking him at the Fillmore East and right. the Electric Circus and all these great places. And then he said, "Hey, uh, you guys want to play at Woodstock?" And they're like, "Yeah." You know, no, no like, one knew. No one knew what was. No. Like. How could they know? No. They and Barry just like. Died last fall, correct? Yes, like did. September or something yes. like that. Yeah. Yeah, we just lost Barry. Yeah. Yeah. We actually had a Woodstock reunion with him before he passed, about maybe a year or so before he passed. And we a friend of ours made a cake in the, you know, as the, the Woodstock logo. And right. Barry was holding it and a bunch of people who were there, Mick and I were there. And Lee Everett, who's an incredible uh, uh, um, performance uh, photographer. Uh, he's really good, and he was at Woodstock. That's how we met, and we've all been friends for you know, a long, long time since. Fifty-something uh, yeah. years. Yeah, fifty-something yeah. years. <clears throat> it doesn't seem possible. <laughs> no, it, did. Yeah. It, do it It doesn't. Really? The older you get, you realize you, you don't think it's that long ago. I think of myself, <laughs> you know, I, I work part-time at a dispensary, and I think of myself as like one of the kids, you know. I mean, I know I'm the elder, but you know, I just, you know, I just look at everybody like we're all kind of the same age. And then somebody yeah. else says something and I'm thinking, <laughs> I could be your mother. You know? Yeah. Oh, well, anyway, but it's all fine. You know, it is what it is. And, and I'm glad to be on this side of the dirt. So, yeah. Any, I, 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 unless you are Ed Norton and working in the sewer, any day above <laughs> ground is a good day. Oh, my God. Oh, Ed Norton. Wow. <laughs> oh. Now you remember honeymooners? That was the yes, yes, yes. So Ed yes. Norton, right? He was yeah, yeah. Art Carney. Okay. Art Carney. Art Carney, right? So he yeah. taught my tap yeah. class in New York City when I was nine. <laughs> Seriously, he, he was a great tap dancer. Oh, he was. You know that about him? Yeah, yeah. He taught my tap class. It was a riot. Wow. We would go down to New York and we'd like for a month we'd dance and we'd dance, you know, and practice, and then at, and he taught one of the tap classes that I was doing at the end do this little off-Broadway thing like with Yul Brenner and play his kids in the King and I for, you know, a couple of, you know, nights. And, you know, we do all these fun little things and, and that was not normal. So, yeah. So okay. then um, let's go further. Okay. So Woodstock, let's talk about Woodstock. Okay. Yes, so yeah. let's talk about Woodstock. Story. 
we are very lazy hosts. We like guests who can just tell their stories and we just have to go, uh uh-huh, every once in a while to let you know we're awake. So please go ahead. So I'll tell you, you know, my synopsis of my Woodstock stories. Um, So um, so like I said, right out of high school, Woodstock, um, David was already there. He he and the quarry had gotten there probably, I'm going to say, around five days before. So they were there with people were setting up and all these things were going. And they were going to be the house band at the free stage at Woodstock. And so the hog farmers were building this free stage with the pranksters. And we, the merry pranksters buses were behind the free stage. The, um, and that means further and the dead. They were all there. All the hog farmers, the pranksters, Owsley, uh, Ken Kesey, Babs. And that was where we stayed. Now, if you looked at Woodstock, if you came into Woodstock, Woodstock was this big, huge venue. But then if you went up over the hill just a little bit, that's where the hog farm was. So it was like its right, own right. little festival, really. Everything was set up. There were people in the woods selling different things. And we had food because the hog farmers were cooking for everybody. And the pranksters were finding tents and rides. And everybody was helping everybody. And it was like its own little festival. And the quarry was the band on the free stage for the whole time. Right. And they had they kind of had a whole mini city. Whole they mini had city. camping, camping yep. areas. They had medical areas. They yep. had a petting zoo. Yep. They had... You know, rides for kids. They even had, they even had a Ferris wheel there, but they had yeah. like shops out in the woods. We had Wavy and Gravy. Uh huh. Well, he was Hugh Romney, but he was Hugh Romney then. Hugh but Romney. yeah, he was. And Christopher Tree. Christopher Tree played gongs, and he set up his whole huge clear tent filled with gongs. And every day he'd get up and he'd play these beautiful gongs. It was amazing. He was amazing. That's now, a new name for me. Go ahead, yeah. yeah. Now, Wendy, you were telling me once, well, you texted me once before the three songs that the yes. quarry played. Go ahead yes. and tell us, if you would, please, about those three songs. Well, um, so uh, David and Mick were both songwriters, and they worked on these songs, I believe, together. Pretty much the quarry, you know, worked on their songs together. And um, Sweet Young Lady, Cheetah Woman, yeah, yeah. and Love on the Line. Right, and right. they were three of the songs that they actually played at Woodstock, which I will um, give you to interject into the piece. Um, so you have sure. it because, you know, not anybody else that I know has music from Woodstock at that point in the, you know, the hog farm and the that whole area that was the quarry all the way. And, um, and here's one of the stories about that. Um, so the Grateful Dead were, were there with us and these guys, I mean, they rocked. They rocked this, uh, this, this, this whole area. People were going crazy for them. They were a hot, lively, great, energetic band. David had an amazing voice. Harmonies were great. It was rock and roll, really great. So um, Jerry Garcia was listening to David, and uh, he said to him when he came off the stage, he said, man, you're the greatest singer I've ever heard. And he took his backstage pass off around his neck and handed it to David and said, I want you to go hear my band. They're coming up next. So David and I walked down to the main stage to be backstage for Santana. Wow. Jerry was from San Francisco. Right. He them his band. And uh, we were backstage to see Santana with Jerry Garcia's backstage pass. Wow. And during that time, 
great story too. Uh, so I used to make all my own clothes. I'm a designer and I started when I was young because I was little and I'd tear apart curtains or whatever I could find, make my outfits. And so I had some pretty cool stuff. Like I called them trip suits, but they were like jumpsuits, you know, one pieces and stuff. Kind, kind so, of like Maria in The Sound of Music with the drapes. Yeah, oh, no. Um, what's her name? Uh, no, that was... Uh, oh, Julie, Julie Andrews was the actress, but... Yeah, but, wait, wasn't it, yeah, but wasn't it um, um, Tara? What was her name? Oh, Gone with the Wind. Remember she took oh, the drapes? The yeah, yeah. Well, and she I came down the staircase? Yes, yes. <laughs> well, that was, that was the Carol Burnett parody. more than Oh, my God. Yeah, that was great. Oh, my God. Yeah, well, that was me. I, I had drapes wrapped around me. Okay. But, you know... Yeah, a mini skirt was the size of a um, pillowcase, so it was easy to make stuff. Anyway, right. so I had unusual, unusual clothing. And um, so I'm backstage with David, and we're watching Santana. We are blown away. And Grace Slick and Janice come walking by, and Janice is like, wow, I love your outfit. Wow. And Grace is like, hey, you know, cool. And we're talking for a minute. And I had this bracelet that came from my wrist, went down over my hand, and had a ring attached. Um and so it was all silver. And Janice was like, it's so cool. And you know, so we were just chatting for just a minute and they walk on. Well, a month or two later, I can't remember, but Big Brother and the holding company's playing somewhere around here. And David and I are there and we're sitting in the front row. And Janice comes on stage and she sees my bracelet. She says to me, I know you. You come see me after the show. So after the show, I went backstage, saw her, gave her the bracelet. And she gave me a signed autograph picture, which I still have. Very wow. cool. So that's wow. my, my full circle Woodstock story. It was so cool to see well, that, that was in, the, in the Berkshires, you know? Did you, did you, because Mick was telling us that after, you know, they were there, all, they were there five days ahead before Woodstock. Yeah. They were there for the, full, for the full festival. They were there yeah. days after. And then about a week after that, they went down. So what else did you see and do at Woodstock? We'll, we'll do this whole thing chronologically. Well, um, you know, it's hard to remember everything. The truth yeah, is, of course. if you went to Woodstock, honestly, uh, if you were to eat or drink just about anything, you were tripping. Right. You were doing acid, period, whether Correct. you wanted to or not. So there was a lot of that. Everything, everything was dosed. Yeah. So when I first got to Woodstock, I was with Bruce Clapper, who... Uh, has done Arlo Guthrie sound for a long time, but he was in a band and we were all friends from the Berkshires and we're walking in cause we had to walk a long ways. Um, uh, the car that we were coming in, a friend of ours, Candy Jones was driving, she had a flat tire, I think, and we had to get something to David. And, and so we had to kind of walk the rest of the way. So um, we were walking and by then the fences were down and people weren't having have their tickets or anything so we're trying to find david and we're like you know what's stuck on what the hell <laughs> and uh but we did we found him miraculously and by the time i found him uh he had been playing uh and on the stage it was a really hot day and um he had asked somebody for a drink and somebody handed him a glass of kool-aid and he downed the whole thing before they said no no that's for the band <laughs> So um, when I walked in, he was in the tent, kind of in a fetal position, telling me that he was a lion with wings. And so I'm like, okay, honey. all right, come on, I'll just hang with you. And I just scooped him up in my arms and we hung out. And 
we made it all the way back to uh, the next day, you know. So, right. but that was my introduction to Woodstock. And then uh, the next day, we all got up and we did yoga every morning. And, right. Uh, you know, do the different things, finding stuff for people, help make the food. You know, it's just it was beautiful. It was so you hung beautiful. out with you hung out with the hog farm. We were with the hog farmer, Grateful Dead, and the Pranksters. That was our gig the whole time. I knew we'd pop over to see the groups, you know. I remember Richie Havens was the first performer. We had, there were balloons from the stage so that it transferred the sound back to where we were from the big stage. And um, it was pretty amazing. You could hear it beautifully. And so we'd walk and we'd hear somebody would go walk over the hill and hear whoever was playing. Richie Havens uh, turned out to be a very, very good friend of uh, Jackie Guthrie's. And yeah. so we hung out with him a little bit and uh, intermittently after. Great guy, really great guy. Great, great guy. I only met him twice as a fan. So I can't say I was his friend, but he's one of the few people who I actually miss, who I didn't yeah. know well. Yes. Yeah, he was that person. Lovely, lovely man. Um, yes. Yeah, so I, was- I met him probably half a dozen times, if not uh-huh. more. And he would sign every autograph. We've talked about it before. A friend, mm-hmm. and he meant it. Yes. Yeah, friend, a friend yes. forever, and he absolutely meant it. Absolutely. Yes, he, he did. He, yeah, was, he wasn't. He might have been the nicest person I've, I've ever met in my life. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's exactly who he was. And uh, it really, what was really great um, about Woodstock, I mean, they were the, you know, the main stuff is great. We know the great performers that played, yeah. and, you know, Hendrix playing at Sunrise, the Star Spangled Banner, you know, all yeah. the bands. That, but some of the incredible stuff that wasn't really part of the movie was the incredible string band. Correct. The incredible string band played at Woodstock. Yeah. Um, right. Leslie West Mountain played at Woodstock. Melanie played at Woodstock. You know, there were some really great things that never made it, you know, in the movie or, you know, I've always thought that it would be great to put together something afterwards of, of, of people that, you know, the stuff that wasn't in the big movie, like people like Melanie, incredible string band, and people who had something to say, you know, like the people you're interviewing here and there intermittently in the movie and, yeah. you know, the show. And then after, you know, stuff like that could be really interesting because people are really interested in Woodstock and, and all the things that surrounded it. And there well, were many well, things that are, you know, hence this podcast. Yes. Yeah. Because exactly. we, we are three guys <laughs> who fell down a Woodstock rabbit hole <laughs> and are attempting to, tell this capture as many stories as possible. And oh yeah. We're, we're less than we've recorded less than a hundred episodes, which only gives us 499,000, more to go. Right. So you're just beginning. <laughs> we're just beginning <laughs> 53 years later. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. You know, so one of my favorite memories is, uh, and I have a couple more stories, but one of my favorite Please. memories was, um, uh, Owsley was in right. an orange jumpsuit, walking around with orange sunshine in his hands. This, this is this is this is Owsley Stanley, who was yes. the Grateful Dead sound man and purveyor of orange sunshine li- of lysergic acid, known <laughs> as LSD. Yeah, while it was still legal, and even when it became illegal. And I wondered how high he was getting as it's. Pouring into his pores, 
holding it in his hands, passing it out. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. He, he might, he might have built up a tolerance. <laughs> <to> <laughs> <it>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never know. But that was such a great. I mean, I remember seeing him, and I was just laughing, going, "Wow, he must be really, really high." <laughs> guys, he was a nice guy. So everybody was so wonderful. I, mean, I didn't meet anybody who wasn't. Last thing I remember knowing was a lonesome whistle blowing and the youngin's dreams of growing up to ride on a freight train leaving town, never knowing where I was bound. No one could change my mind, but Mama tried. One and only rebel child in a family making mine. Mama seemed to know what lay in store Spite of all my Sunday learning For the bat I kept on turning Till Mama couldn't hold me anymore When I turned 21 in prison Doing life without parole No one could steer me right But Mama tried, Mama tried Mama tried to raise me better But her pleading I denied That leaves only me to blame Cause Mama tried Dear old daddy, rest his soul Left my mom a heavy load She tried so very hard to fill his shoes Working hours without rest Wanted me to have the best She tried so very hard But I refused When I turned 21 in prison Doing life without parole No one could steer me right But Mama tried Mama tried Mama tried to raise me better But her pleading agonized That leaves only me to blame This small child There was this man, um, and he had reddish, long reddish blonde hair, and uh, he had nothing on but a poncho, and he had uh, a lamb around his neck, a living lion. Oh, yeah, yeah. And a sign that said, love your friends, don't eat them. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and he was quite a character, and, you know, he was hanging out with us, you know, we were all around in the same area and stuff. So fast forward to, and I, I mean, I've got a lot of stories, so... You know, I mean, I, I, won't, I won't tell you all the story of, of everything, but you can tell us whatever you want. <laughs> and we, we've interviewed and I'm not saying that we're going to do this in this case, but we have it. We've sat here for six hours telling people, having people tell their stories. Yeah. And even if we don't get to everything tonight and you want to come back, 
we're more than happy to have you back. It's just great to hear some of the history, isn't it? I mean, it's absolutely. Yeah. And having re- and knowing your story, we've only scratched the surface. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this is a great story. This one here. Okay, so all right, now we're going to fast forward. David and I, Minnie Ripperton was my best friend. How did you re- how did you meet Minnie Ripperton? Okay, so after Woodstock. I lived in Stockbridge for about a year on Ice Glen. And then I decided David had, all right, so after Woodstock, David was going to go with the quarry to play the Texas International Pop Festival. Correct. That which happened about two weeks after Woodstock. Right. And they played on the main stage with Hendrick Zeppelin and all those guys. Okay. Cor- and, cor- correct. And then they went to San Francisco, I believe, after that. Yeah, with the dead. And then Ripperton played with Rotary Connection on that same stage. But we, none of us knew each other. Nobody knew okay. Minnie. David played. So you, so, you, so you met Minnie at Texas Pop? Nope. Okay. Nope. So that's just an aside. That's the, where the quarry went and they played on the same stage with all those people. So after David went to San Francisco, they were going to go to South America. They were traveling. They were on their way. They were playing Fillmore East, Fillmore West. They were playing. Right, right, right. Over. They were going. And so Barry was taking them to South America, to Venezuela. Right. And so, and I'm going like, you know, I said to David, because we were first loves, I was 14 or 16. I said, you know, why don't we just, you go do your music right now. And that's the most important thing. Just go do it. Now I'm going to go to Gainesville, Florida, and I'm going to go with my brothers who are in college there. They were studying to be architects, one a landscape architect and one uh, regular architect. And they were at the University of Florida in Gainesville. Gainesville at that point in time was, there are Maharishis, there were you know, a lot of vegan restaurants, a lot of vegetarian. Oh, it's, it's, it's a big college town. So in any big college town at that time, you had all those counterculture things happening. And it was amazing. And it was fantastic at that time. It was really fantastic. So I moved down there. At, I'm 18 and I'm living in an apartment with some girlfriends and had amazing things happen while I was down there. It was pretty wild. One of the things that happened was... Uh, friend of mine had asked me if I, um, they were having a party and this band was playing and he said, my friend, you know, kind of needs a date. You want to be his date for the, for the party? And I'm like, oh, sure. You know, what the heck? We're just, you know, we're just hanging out. And um, so the band that was playing was Mud Crutch and my date was Tom Petty. So, <laughs> so hanging out for a minute with Tom. And of course I was in love with David and stay, I was always in love with David. So, but Tom right, and I but, had a great but, but, time. But, but, but you did put things on hold while yes, he was we in did. South America. Yeah, we did. We we did. We just let it go because it was the thing to do to you know let everything grow as much as it could. And, and you know, if it's love, it, it remains. So there were no worries. There was no jealousy. There was no anything. It was just it was. Correct. So we if, were lucky if it's enough. Me- if, if it's meant to be, it'll happen. Right. We were lucky enough to be enlightened enough to allow. Good. At that point, so. Um, and it so allowed you to meet Tom Petty. Yeah, and Minnie Ripperton. So, so she was at University of Florida. Yeah. So Minnie Ripperton had moved to Florida, and she was living in Gainesville. And um, I had uh, opened a shop. It was in a closet. It was that big. It was called Secondhand Rose. And it was, I was upcycling clothes. Okay. I was designing and making clothes out of other clothes and whatever. And, 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 you, and you still do that today. And right? I still do that today, yeah. And so, um, so the second year, I went to the bank and said, I want to open a big store. There was a place for rent downstairs, and I wanted to expand. And I was 21, I think. And the bank 
looked at me and said, okay, we'll give you the money. So I opened this beautiful store called Gypsy and uh, had high fashion clothing. I had my own designs. I had some vintage. I had a little bit of everything, jewelry. And, and we were right across the street from the university, 1638 West University Avenue, right across from the college. So um, in fact, it was a building of a lot of buildings and we turned it into a place called Renaissance Fair. And we had a lot of stores in the place rented out. And I also had a lot of stores of my own. So I ended up having four stores in that building that did different wow. things. One was vintage clothing. One was Rainbow Dancer, Capizio Dancewear. One was Moonspun Fabrics, all imported fabrics. Uh, the Magi was spiritual books and herbs, and Gypsy was high fashion. I got the store, Gypsy, and I was doing fashion shows and doing the windows and making the clothes and having fun. And so this woman walks in one day, and we're wearing almost the same outfit. And she looks at me, and she goes, who are you? And I said, I'm Wendy. Who are you? She goes, I'm Minnie. Minnie? And we instantly loved each other. We instantly were kindred spirits and friends. So from that moment on, we were best friends for life, period. We and and for, for those who don't know, Minnie Ripperton, of course, had the big hit Loving You in the 70s, and she's probably more famous today for being Maya Rudolph's mother. Correct. So Maya and Auntie were born a year apart, both Leos. Minnie and I were both Scorpios. Right and on. Maya and Anchi, my daughter, were born a year apart, and they were both Leos. And so they played together as kids. You know, we had a great time. We used to hang out as a family with Dick Rudolph and Minnie and Maya and Mark. And we just always had such great times together in Gainesville. Then one day, Stevie Wonder calls Minnie and says, I want you to come to L.A. I want you to sing on my album. So Minnie goes, hey, Dick, I think we need to move to L.A. So they get up and move to Laurel Canyon. So Minnie's gone, my friend. Meanwhile, I'm opening up a bunch of more stores and doing really well, having fun in Gainesville. And then Minnie calls me and says, I'm going to open the MGM Grand. They just built it. She said, I need you to come design my clothes. So I say to David, I'm going to go out to L.A. and open the MGM Grand. I had just designed a blouse for this company called Christian Fashions. They were selling it all over the world. And it was in Playboy up around her neck, but it was still in Playboy. And it was, you know, in a couple other places. And so it was, and Minnie wore it in her um, advertising, you know, for a photograph. So uh, I said, okay, well, let's go to LA then. So David and I flew to LA. So you were in something you designed was in one of the few pictures in Playboy that featured clothing. Yes even though it was up around her neck, kind of like well, a scarf, but it was still well, my blouse. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it, it featured, you know, I didn't say how they featured clothing. It's still Playboy magazine, but. <laughs> oh, my God, it was great. But Minnie actually had it on properly. <laughs> Good. Yeah, it looked great. Um, and it was funny because Krishna said to me, they had a little tiny piece of fabric. So pick a piece of fabric. And I, I didn't know what they were doing, so I picked this beautiful piece of ombre silk. He said, okay, now make something out of it. So when I made what was called the bubble blouse, that's what it was called, um, it sold all over the world, but that was the blouse that many wore, the actual original blouse that I made out of that piece of fabric. And then they made a lot more. Um, so right. anyways, so Minnie says, come to LA. So we go to LA, David's gonna stay with his cousin. I'm staying with Minnie. 
after the first night, he's like, I don't want to, I don't want to stay with you, you know. So I said to Minnie, can David stay with us too? She's like, yeah. So David comes. So we're all staying at Minnie's house in Beverly Hills. She this is, and, and, now, and now we're to the mid seventies and you reconnected with David. Yes. Yeah, so okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. Just, just trying to fill things in for people. Yes. Yes. So David and I reconnected. I, um, I was up at my lake house in the Berkshires and he, um, came to the house and I opened the door and yeah, that was, that was that. Okay. Yeah. So then we go to LA together and, um, we're at Minnie's and we're, we start looking for a place in LA, looking for a place to live because we think, yeah, we should be out here. I wanted to work with Minnie, design her clothes. And, you know, so, uh, and during that month, we ended up staying out there a month and we had, we went to Algero's wedding in the park. We went to Barry Gordy's house and recorded music. She said, Shh, don't sing any original songs. <laughs> feel your stuff. You know, Minnie, she was so funny. And then, um, we, uh, we played tennis with Richard Pryor and Flip Wilson, and we had dinner with Stevie Wonder. And I mean, it was just like, it was magical. I mean, it was, went to Motown's 25th anniversary. You know, it was just the most magical time ever out there with Minnie. It was, oh my God, we had the best time. So anyway, so we're out there. And um, so, Dave, so we find a place, beautiful place in Pacific Palisades. David gets his, a band together and they start rehearsing. And then here's the deal. No matter how talented you are, no matter how good you are, if people don't come to see you, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's it. So, so David, had, if he had gone out there on his own, who knows what would have happened because who knows what would have gone to see him. Because Minnie was my best friend. When I told her David was going to play at the Troubadour with the band, she got all her people to come. Epic, Sony, Columbia. All of them were there. Mindy said to come, and Mindy was there. So they came and heard David's band and were blown away because he's good. And they signed him. Uh, actually, it was um, <clears throat> Elliot Roberts who manages Jamie Mitchell and Neil Young. Yeah. Right. So yeah, just, just, I don't know. Just a bunch of nobody. Just a bunch of guys. Yeah. yeah. Him <clears throat> and um, so Elliot Roberts and um, Geffen. Uh, yeah. So Geffen. Yeah, so they had a little um, offshoot record label too called Outlook on Columbia. And so okay. Gulliver, Gulliver was, and, and, and David's band Gulliver that made the album, uh, John Weeder played lead guitar. He was with the Animals. He wrote San, Sky, Sky Pilot, San Francisco Nights. When I was the, the, this is Eric Burden, the Animals, after yes. the original band, the band that played Monterey. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so he played guitar with Dave and then the Buck Brothers bass and drums. So that was um, the band that got signed to do the album. So they did the album. Um, and when we were living out there, um, that's when Minnie got sick and passed away. And yeah. um, that was really hard. And, um, and then David uh, one day said to me, uh, I don't want to be a rock star. I want to go back to Massachusetts and have a baby and raise cows. And I went, what? I'm like, really? He said, yeah. He didn't like the music business. Right. Yeah. The business really bumped him out. Oh, but anyways, let's get back on track. Let's back up. Okay. So I was telling you all this to get to the story about the guy with the, all right. Anyway, so we go to LA and the Krishnas want, 
want their, the Krishnas, because I'm designing for Krishna fashions, they're coming to me because they want Stevie Wonder and Minnie to do some thing for them and raise money or what, I don't even remember, but it was something wild. And they right. wanted to get me to talk Minnie into doing something. And so they were like, you know, trying to be all schmoozy with me. And so um, they said, uh, David said, well, you know, I'm really looking for a place where I can record. And so they came to me one day and said, we have a place you can record. This guy's got an eight track and he's got a great studio. And we're like, okay, cool. So we get in a van with the Krishnas and people we don't even really know, right? And we're dri they're driving. And all of a sudden we're on one of these roads in Malibu that if you get on this road, there's only room for one car and it's straight down both sides. I don't know if you've ever been out there, but it's, it's insane, okay? Yeah, yeah. So it, sounds, it sounds like Pacific Osara. Yeah. Yeah, so it's going from inland to out toward Malibu, out, right. right? So you're going to go to the ocean. So, but this road, literally, you know, you are barely, and we're in this van going, what are we doing? You know, we're like feeling a little crazy. Yeah, so if, we, if, if you're heading south on the Pacific Coast Highway, you, can you, feel, like are, you feel like you're, at some point, you feel, the passenger side would feel like they are falling off the mountain <laughs> yeah, into, yeah, into the Pacific. Exactly. Yeah, you just don't know what's going to happen. Uh, so we get to the end of the, that road, and there's this beautiful house on the cliffs of Malibu, all glass, and there's peacocks and llamas, and, and this guy comes out, and he looks like the guy that in that ad, you can't believe it's not butter, Fabio, I guess is his name, you know, the blonde yep. hair blowing in the breeze of black wrapped shirt with the big sleeves and he comes out like this, you know, swashbuckler. And I look at him and I look at David and I said, is he the guy with the sheep at Woodstock? <laughs> and David looks at me, and goes, I think he is. And I said to him, were you at Woodstock? Did you have a sheep around your neck and were you wearing a poncho and nothing else? He goes, yeah, that was me. I mean, at Woodstock, we see this guy and then we meet him. And he's a millionaire living on the, in this gorgeous mansion on the edge of Malibu. And, yeah, so he had a studio. So, you know, they did they screwed around, did some recording, and had some fun. And, but, um, but that recording, um, you know, that was just really for fun. We never really did anything. The Christians, you know, that was, it was just too involved. And, and so we, we de-involved ourselves with the Christians after a little while. And... Um, and we, Kiki D was playing out at the Roxy. And a friend of mine said, um, Kiki's at the Roxy. She wants to see some of your clothes. So I said, okay, well, I'll bring a rack down. So I brought a rack of clothes to the Roxy. She's rehearsing. And Kiki D is an English singer who is probably most famous for singing at least one song with Elton John. A duet. Don't go right. breaking my heart. That's it. And but so, she did have, but she did have a solo career on her own. Yes, she did. But yeah, but I don't know how well known she is outside of England, except for that one song. Exactly. So, so I go there, and she comes and she picks a few things out, and she's really happy. And then her guitarist, who was living with her and they're together at the time, was Davy Johnstone, who is Elton who, John's guitarist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And has been since he was seventeen. Right. And still is. And so he comes, and he's like, he wants everything. So he goes, do you have more? I go, yeah, my house. He goes, well, come. I said, come on over then. And so I invited him to come for dinner the next day. So Davy shows up at my house with his mandolin. And he is um, 
just in love with the clothing, wants me to design clothing for him. He's not playing with Elton. Elton right now is off with uh, Ray Cooper playing solo. Right. So he's playing with Kiki and he's doing a few other things. So anyway, so he sits down in my living room, starts playing mandolin. I thought, oh my God, you know, this is heaven, you know. And, um, we, and I made him chicken catchatory. And so we became best friends. Long distance, we're still best friends, 50 years. And um, he tells everybody, I make the best chicken cacciatore he's ever But anyway, he decides he wants to play with David. He wants to, he wants to back David up. So they're going to jam together. So they, they do a recording at D. Murray's studio in the Hollywood Hills with, with Elton's band, because they're not touring with him right now, because he's with Ray Cooper. And he, they record like four songs, four David songs. So that was pretty great. Um, but D. Murray yeah. is also in Elton John's band, or yes, was. was, yeah. yeah. So, um, but there was something else I wanted to tell you in between there. About, oh, okay, so Minnie, when we were at Minnie's house, this is yeah. one of my highlights. Okay, so we're in L.A. with Minnie, and we're going to have dinner with Stevie Wonder. So Stevie comes over, and... Um, He's been writing music, so he sits down next to me on the couch, and he puts his cassette in the player and starts playing these songs, and he starts singing harmony and rocking back and forth. I'm sitting next to him. Honestly, I thought I had died and gone to heaven. Okay, I was so blissed out. Um, I love Stevie. I just feel he has a direct line with God in music. And um, so he starts singing, and at the end of the cassette, he turns to me. He said, it's my greatest achievement to be the first blind man to score a movie. Plus he was scoring The Secret Life of Plants, but of course he didn't see it. So right. he's scoring it just by, you know, knowing about the movie. It was about how plants have feelings. And it was a beautiful album, The Secret Life of Plants. It was, it was, it was a beautiful album. I don't know if the movie ever came out, but... It was a documentary. Yeah, you can't hardly okay. get it. You have to research it really a okay. lot to see it. And it's not very... It was not done well enough to be a movie, I don't think. But the music was great. But the music was great. One of the highlights of my life, anyway. But that's a little off the Woodstock yeah. path. Well, but, um, yeah, but you've had a few highlights. And, and oh, my God. Before, before we get too farther afield, yeah. um, after David and Quarry went to South America, Quarry broke up, and then David formed a new band. Yes. After the Quarry went to South America, uh, David... When they got back and they broke up, David actually uh, formed a band called Shenandoah, which had David Grover, yeah. his original um, a guitar player from the Marksman, his first band, and then Terry Alaberry, who played with Arlo for years and, and prior. They became Arlo's backup band. Arlo heard them play in a park, and he was like, oh, my God, you guys are amazing. Can you be my backup band? So they well, toured they, with Arlo. The, 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 the church is in the Berkshire, so yes. Ar Arlo is not that far away. Yeah, so Arlo, so he took them on tour, and, and the Shenandoah played with him for years, and um, David was the Shenandoah, but David, there was more for David, and he knew it, and he wanted to find out what was going on. So he was going to go out, he had a tape for Clive Davis, and he made a tape with Shenandoah to take out to LA, uh, that we had with us when we did end up going out there, but um, Shenandoah was an amazing band. They, you know, and I, 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 depending on how you, what you would like to do, there are a couple songs from each genre of his music that are fantastic, right from well, Woodstock, the Woodstock set. Yes, Scott well, does the well, music just 
we'll you can we'll give you Scott's. Well, you, you may have it, and Scott. We, 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 Scott, Scott knows about your um, yeah SoundCloud page, Will. And generally, what happens when we talk about the song, Scott will pick that song and put it in the yes. So when we talked about the Woodstock trilogy, yes, which I know is on your SoundCloud page, we'll put that yes. into the podcast, and we'll put a Shenandoah piece. And I think there's about eighteen. I'm, I know I. Sub- I subscribe to your SoundCloud page. As of now, I think there's about 18 songs on there. What is it? I did uh, date them. I dated them so you would know. Uh, right. right. It, it, and for our listeners, being that SoundCloud is public and this is out there, it's, I forget the name of it off the top of my head. It's Mount Something Music. Mount Hope. Mount Hope Mount Music? Mount Hope Music. Mount Hope Music. So and if the, anybody wants to go on SoundCloud and search for Mount Hope Music, three words, they can find this. Yes. And the reason David named it Mount Hope Music, when he was a boy, he spent much of his time with his grandparents in Williamstown, Massachusetts, which is beautiful rural farm area and Williams College, Clark Institute, beautiful town. And he would go across the street with his grandfather tended the cows, hence wanting the cows and a baby. Right. And the barns were so meticulous you could eat off the floor. They were pristine. And his grandfather tended the cows there at that barn. So the memories of that with his grandfather are are cherished in his heart so fondly that he wanted to name his publishing company after that. So he named it Mount Hope Music. Mount Hope is in the Yeah. Very nice.
Now, David also wrote a song for Alice Cooper, correct? Yes. So here's that, how that happened. So Davy, a good friend, came with this beautiful mandolin, played music, started playing with David. He was also freelancing, playing um, for anybody at the time, you know, doing uh, session stuff. And Alice was recording his Flush the Fashion album. Yeah. And so um, he had hired Davey to session lead guitar on his album. And so Davey had come to the house a few times. He, um, I'd invite him to come for dinner. We'd be hanging out. They were doing music. And one night he came over and David was playing clones on his little um, acoustic. And Davey was like, oh, my God, I love that song. And David's like, yeah, well, I just wrote it, you know. And so Davey took that song, went to Alice Cooper and said, this song, I think this song's a hit. Oh my God, check it out. And he played it for Alice. Alice fell in love with the song and wanted to make it the single off his Flush the Fashion album, 1980. Right. So, yeah. so he comes back. Davy says, Alice wants clones. And David says, Nope, I'm going to do it. And so I'm like, Hmm, okay, well, huh, all right. But, you know, you can still do it. 
even if you let Alice do it, you can still do it, you know. Let me get an idea, you know, just let Alice do it. What the hell? You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I mean, he you, just you wants talk to make it the single on his album, you know. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, you, you, it's you talked about Stevie Wonder before. He wrote a song for Jeff Beck called Superstition, and then oh, Stevie right. Wonder ended up doing it themselves and right. had the bigger hit with it. Right, right, exactly. So anyway, um, you know, long story short, I finally talked him into, listen, let me just, you know, do some negotiating and, and you know, let's, let's let Alice do the song. So I had met with Alice and I said to him, look, you know, um, David is not feeling like he wants to give the song to somebody to do, but if you want to give us, you know, writer's rights and publishing rights, 100%, he'll let you do the song. Now that's right. unheard of. But... Alice really wanted that song. He really wanted it to be the single off his album and said, okay. I came back cool. to David. I said, you know, got all the rights. Just let him do the song. And David said, no. I said, what? And finally, after a few more hours, he came around and he's like, yeah, you're right. So he let Alice do the song and it was the hit single. And Davey just told me, I talked to him on his birthday. And he just told me that Alice is re-releasing Flush the Fashion. There you oh, go. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. So, 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 so you get a little mailbox money every once in a while. It's open. <laughs> it's open. Whatever it yeah. is, even if it's a nickel, no, it's a, it's it's a nickel honestly, more than you have. That's right. Absolutely.
that's our show. Keep the Dream Flowing, a Woodstock 1969 podcast was produced and edited by Scott Parker. Your hosts were Jack Lekensky, Johnny Hudson, and Scott Parker. Keep the Dream Flowing, a Woodstock 1969 podcast has a Facebook page where you can catch up on all the latest Woodstock hullabaloo. Keep the Dream Flowing, a Woodstock 1969 podcast is not affiliated in any way with Woodstock Ventures or any of its individual partners or entities. On behalf of Jack Lekensky and Johnny Hudson, this is Scott Parker saying thank you very much for listening and we will see you next time.